0: This is the Way Podcast on FM 91.7 WHUS stores at the top of the hour. I'm your host, Bill Trofeski, and today we'll be talking about the economy between the two parties of America. Now, before I introduce our guests, I must state that the views expressed in this program do not reflect the views of the staff, management, or licensee of the station. So now to get into it, we have Max Mills, who is a liberal and has written as a liberal political journalist, and Charles Mill, who is a conservative who has written for names like Sean Hannity. Can you guys introduce yourself and tell the audience a little bit about yourselves?
1: Uh, yeah, my name is Max Mills. I'm a liberal, and I've written for multiple political journals. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, well, uh, I mean, it's going to be hard to top that. that yeah, much, well, but, you know, uh, it's what I do. Yeah, my name is Charlie Mills. Uh, I have written for names like Sean Hannity uh, and a few other uh, people. Uh, uh, we're brothers. We so are brothers. That's, I think, the key thing. My biggest. When people ask me, what's your biggest qualification as like a political voice? I say, well, my brother's Charlie Mills.
0: And that just seals it for you. You're set.
1: <laughs> yeah, it just seals it. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, I just say my name's Charlie Mills. Wow, I, was, I thought you were gonna like hit it back. It, oh, yeah, me either. No, it's fine. Oh no.
0: <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> Perfect. Well, good to hear. And let's get into it. So let's just jump right in. Supply side economics. What? Um, can you give me some of the liberal side and some of the conservative side?
1: Yeah, I think Charlie should go first with this because supply set economics is really just the uh the fancy pants word the conservatives use to describe their economic views. Um, the fancy pants word, okay. You don't know think uh, like it's fancy? First,
0: so the audience knows
1: okay, what Okay. So uh essentially what I believe is that the uh the best way uh to to spur economic growth is to uh to to deregulate the system. Uh, I believe that the only way that uh, that wealth is created is through the creation of new products and services. And so uh, we should maximize the ability to create.
0: Pure capitalism.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, um, I don't know. Yeah. So my, my opinion on that is, I mean, obviously I think some degree of regulation is necessary. And in fact, I think in some places like in antitrust laws and, and other, other things. I think it's almost necessary in order to ensure uh, a truly fair free market. Um, I also think that the main driving force behind any economy is demand, and that supply rises to meet demand. You don't want you know, yeah, that's, that's it. Of course, yeah. yeah. I, I, I believe that uh, in order that, that supply creates demand essentially. So yeah, that supply comes first uh, and then Max would say that that demand comes first. It's the chicken and egg situation. Yeah, it's the supply on the metric. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I'll I'll take chicken all right I'll take egg
0: all right. uh can you tell me anything about the laffer curve, Charlie, do you believe in that because that's a conservative talking point on supply side e- economics
1: i mean yes, I believe in it uh i mean the the idea of the laffer curve is that uh as you were th- that there is a point where you most efficiently uh get tax revenue because uh let's say you have a one hundred percent top marginal tax rate for example um that's obviously going to stop economic growth, so, um, which would in turn reduce tax revenue in the long run. And if you reduce the uh, top marginal tax rate to, to a certain point, um, then the economic growth from it would create more tax revenue because uh, you would be taking from a bigger pool. It's a yeah. smaller proportion, but it's a bigger pool that you're taking. Yeah, so basically kind of the idea here is if you're taxing 0%, you're not getting any tax revenue like OBS, right? Yeah. Uh, but if you're getting hundred percent, then people are going to, you know, dodge it and find loopholes or just leave, you know, and also won't have any money to like do anything else. Yeah. You know, ultimately you need human beings in the economy with money in order to, um, the idea is that there's, an, an, optimal yeah, an, there's optimal an optimal tax, tax rate. Yeah, there's an optimal tax rate. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it's also, I think worth mentioning that, you know how uh, they say when you're running from a bear, you don't have to be fast than the bear, just faster than your slowest friend. Um, when people talk about stuff, you know, what the optimal tax rate is, you know, there's a lot of concerns about people leaving, about people storing their wealth somewhere else, but really we just have to be better than the other guys. So if the rest of the if the rest of the world raised their taxes to ninety five percent, I think ninety percent would do okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I I I mean, I mean, except
1: insofar as then they would have no money to do anything. Well, yeah, and then and then I'm the, talking uh, specifically about the leaving portion. And then the point is that yeah, uh, uh, yes, with the leaving portion, yes, that that is true. Isolating. Isolating yes. yes. <laughs> Yes. You can isolate it to that one variable. Yeah, isolate it (laughs) to that one variable. (laughs) And that's really the key is you just got to isolate it to one variable at all times. Yes. uh, Yeah.
0: Single variable analysis. You can make anything sound good I mean, too, that's too
1: many variables. That's really complicated. Yeah.
0: So. All right. Uh, What's the tax rate in America right now? Oh. Well, it
1: depends on, uh, I mean, there's a lot of but different ways to on your tax. income. Yeah, it depends on your income. And also, I mean, are we talking about, about like direct a income? Corporation. I believe the top, top top marginal tax rate is 37.5%. Is it 37.5%? Yeah, well.
0: Nice. Yeah, 37. That's what my roommate just yeah. told me, who's a senior going for a degree in economics. Now. Well, he would know, right? Yeah. Well, I've always respected our seniors. <laughs> Good. Mm. And. You mentioned something like if taxes are too high, they'll try to export or find loopholes. Yeah. Do we have some loopholes today? Because I see companies like Amazon, they pay zero in federal taxes, if I'm correct. We have
1: so many loopholes. Well, here's the thing. is like whenever whenever we're talking about the word loophole, the question is like it's not like a clear legal statement. Like it's not defined as a loophole. It's more people using a tax break in a way that it wasn't intended, I guess, is kind of what I usually mean when I say it. But sometimes it was intended that way, Charlie. So – Usually when people say tax loophole, what they mean is a tax deduction that's available to everyone that some people take advantage of. And in the case of Amazon, that's a different situation because uh, certain, you know, uh, certain areas like certain states or uh, cities will allow Amazon to be there because it's a huge company Mm -hmm. without having to pay tax rates. I believe New York City, uh, I believe, Mm -hmm. I can't remember this perfectly, but I I believe they were originally offering, uh, when Amazon was looking to open up a new Mm -hmm. office, they were offering you... uh, amazon to not have to pay property taxes or an income tax there to try to bribe them into moving there and then i believe uh i, I want to say de blasio or, or cuomo one of the, the honchos over there that had honchos uh <laughs> said that if, if you know if we don't uh give this company this break it's not going to want to move here and why and why do they want it to move there uh because it's a very large company so and so they'll to- employ people and those people will have more money and increase demand and that'll be good for the economy? It would increase their supply of money. Oh, really? <laughs> but it would also... Yes, you... you, Yes, Max. Uh... If there is a finite amount of wealth yeah. distributed throughout the United States, yeah. you would want to displace it into uh, New York City. Sure, yeah, if, yeah. if you were a New York City, that that's not really an effect. That's not saying there's an effect in demand. That's saying that you are now moving more wealth into New York City. Is the, the, is the United States growing faster because it's New York City? No. Is New York City growing faster because it has? Uh, a larger economy now. Sure, if they were going at three percent, and then now they have a higher GDP, then uh, because, uh, there is, because there is, but because there uh, are more jobs there, then yeah, three percent of one thousand versus three percent of ten thousand. The three percent of ten thousand is bigger. Well, sure, supplying a lot of facts at me. Yeah, I, I don't remember demanding them.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I remember there was a whole thing about where's Amazon going to move to. Yeah. Every yeah. state was trying to offer them like their own benefit. But basically, it's just Amazon taking advantage of these offers, kind of.
1: I definitely and think so. I mean, didn't they ultimately end up... I mean, I think we can expect companies to pursue the most profit. And if we, I, I think it is wrong for governments to offer specific companies uh, tax breaks to try to bribe them into moving I them. totally or agree. Even playing field. Yeah. I think that's every,
0: something everyone should agree. Yeah, I think that's
1: ridiculous. And I absolutely agree. Yeah,
0: yeah regardless on the side. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's noted. What about moving from Amazon? What about names like Jeff Bezos? Because I hear this argument that he paid. Well, where's my statistic? I found that he pays less than a, a teacher or less than your average working person. Is it like as a, a percentage tax rate? Not cash, not cash. Number. As a percentage. As a tax rate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, that was a business insider and Sayus and Suckman.
1: Yeah, I know zero about uh, uh Mr. Bezos. About about his personal finances. Uh I find it hard to believe he could do that legally. Um unless I I mean I, I just don't know anything about it. I don't know either. anything about him either. Yeah. All
0: right. I'll move on. What about uh people say the middle class is dying? What are your takes on that?
1: Uh yeah, well, there's a pandemic going on. So okay. I'm sure a lot of them- it-
0: Well, that too. Um, yes. Literally, they're dying. But- so
1: people have been saying that, but what you see is that actually the majority of people who were uh, in the middle class in the 1990s have now moved up into the upper middle class. The middle class has shrunk as a result of people getting richer, not as a result of uh, of a growing, uh, a growing wealth disparity. There is a growing wealth disparity, but that's because if you have everyone growing at, uh, everyone's wealth growing, or incomes growing at 5%, for example- then um, it, the people who are richer are going to have their incomes grow uh, lo- faster uh, proportionally. And also, I, in the past few years, uh, since 2016, I believe, uh might be 2017, the fastest growing uh, incomes have been in the bottom 25%. Oh, nice. Fastest growing incomes as oh, a number? Yeah, the, the fastest growing incomes uh, as a percentage. Okay, well, I don't know. Um, and also, and... Uh, and also at the same time, the wealth, dis- the uh, income disparity has grown because um, it's proportionality.
0: Got it. So we have a large debt, it's safe to say. How do we go about reducing this debt that we have?
1: <clears throat> that's a great question. So the honest, so the, uh, I, if we're going to go with kind of the number one way to decrease our deficit, that's our year to year um uh, increase in the debt. Um, the number one reliable way of the last half century is to elect a Democratic president. Yeah. Every single Democratic president has left office with a lower deficit, and every single Republican one has left office with a higher deficit than when they entered. Okay. So, and and here's where that's wrong. Uh, How is that wrong? Oh, uh, Well, Obama didn't. Uh, yes, he did. He cut it by three fourths. Um, after he increased it to uh, over a two No, 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 because yeah. the. To the First, first day in office, he signed the, uh, he signed the stimulus bill that, was, that he helped write uh, in the month of January. Fiscal years are offset by one, though, the entire budget yep. there. Uh, no, because the fiscal year was 2009, and, uh, and it was a bill he signed that it went into action. Yeah, but Bush wrote the, the budget for fiscal year two thousand. Not for the one that sent the deficit. It's not true. Um, but uh, it, y'all can fact check this. Well, we'll fact check this later. Uh, but anyways uh but but yeah, that bill was uh I believe written in early January two thousand nine signed uh, Obama's first day in office um, and and the uh the second thing is the goal should be, in my opinion, to reduce uh, government spending. Nearly seventy percent of our budget goes to uh, entitlement programs like uh, social security, Medicare, and Medicaid. and um uh, you know, in my ideal world, those things don't exist uh but um why not? You don't like Social Security or anything? No, I do not. What about Medicare and Medicaid? Medicare and Medicaid? Medicaid. Medicare and Medicaid. Ah, Sorry, I got it mixed up. Yeah, well, okay. Anyways, uh, I, I don't think that it's the government's job to provide those things. Why? Why would it be? why well why wouldn't it be well so what what i mean uh, this this is a different discussion i guess i, I yeah well so I don't think we need to have a philosophical okay discussion. i guess we don't have, to have a philosophical discussion, but i just feel like when i hear well that's not the government's job i feel like the government's job is to do whatever it is we need it to do like it's a tool i think just I, I think i don't think that should be a showstopper. i think the answer should be are we better off if we give the government this job should be a better answer than well that's not what a government is well for. i mean we like, made it you know government it's it's been a it's been a patchwork quilt of of different purposes and changes and updates based on need, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that, and I guess we just have a fundamental disagreement there. I think that, uh, I think that, um, I mean, if that was the case, then what would be the, the point of the Constitution, right? I, I mean, I believe the point of the Constitution is create a a steer at which the government cannot extend its power beyond. Um, and I. <laughs> Regardless of whether or not. I think the Constitution was a pretty thinly veiled compromise between warring factions led by Jefferson and Hamilton with radically different ideas about what the government should look like. Yeah, I, I don't. And they. I, I think oh. that the, uh, I don't know, I think that it was a way of effectuating the Declaration of Independence, which uh, which kind of laid out what they blo- believed the role of government should be.
0: It's safe to say you guys have different views on, say, Medicare for All. Oh, Is yeah. Because that's a new topic that a lot of people are talking about.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, so here's the thing about Medicare for All, and I'm going to – so here's the thing about Medicare for All is like – the reason I tend to support it is the same reason why I support uh, Free College and all these other things is I think that a few things are true. One, (laughs) there are Americans who, in order to just exist and progress in life, are assuming – so much debt that it's preventing them from spending. Like every time you read an article that says millennials are killing the X industry, the Y industry, even the Z industry, you know, I, I think a lot of that is because we simply are one of the first generations in American history that are poorer than our parents. And I think a lot of that is due to, you know, and, and this is a little bit of a kind of a, a parallel topic how much, you know, college debt we assume. Debt kills our ability to spend, and people's ability to buy is foundational to like. What makes an economy work? And so then, if we move from that to like medical bills, uh, a few things are true. One, backbreaking medical debt hurts the economy. It also hurts people. And moreover, when it is so expensive to see a doctor, when our system is so um, prohibitive for people who aren't of means to get the medical care they need, they avoid the kind of preventative care that would reduce the overall medical expenditures of America. I'll also say, and this is a little bit of a side note, but something everyone should know, so I'm just going to throw it out there. Americans disproportionately shoulder a lot of the world's research and development costs because other countries have legal limitations on, um, on margins. Is that right, Charlie? Uh, it's because a lot of the other countries use uh, socialized medicine. Uh, well, the specific regulation is not an intrinsic necessary part of socialized medicine. A hard cap on the percentage of overcharge they can have over the base production. Uh, I mean, it depends on the country, but no, that's exactly what I mean. It's not an intrinsic built-in. Oh, it's not an intrinsic. That's thing. what I said. But they, I they're mean, separate. But they are separate. They are technically they are usually, sure, 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 sure. Yeah. But but when you when you eliminate competition, you're going to eliminate. I mean, you eliminate the in- incentive uh, to innovate. And, yeah, and um. Yeah. I mean, as far as Medicare for all goes or any sort of socialized medicine, what you do is you need to uh, you have to compromise on quality of care and there or or ration it. There's no way around that because there is a maximal supply of, of health care that can be brought. Yeah. This is something that needs to be accepted. So if you are going to go down the Medicare for all route, I mean, and this is something that uh, that I mean, m- multiple pro health, uh, pro socialized medicine. uh Humans, names. yeah. Humans People. that are humans. important that, you know, would be an argument from authority if I could think of my name. We'll say experts. There we go. Uh, is that they will say an, a government will kind of choose an age at which uh, at which you you quit receiving care or a limit as to like how much care you can receive because there's only so much they can provide. Um, that's why uh, in the UK, I believe they, they ration uh, health care for for the obese. They ration health care for uh, smokers um because they they just cannot provide it for everyone it's impossible you can have th- you can have two of three things in healthcare yeah. you can have affordability uh universality or quality you can you can only have two of those three things yep. and you have to decide what your priorities are uh, i believe that i, I would i want to have quality and affordability right now i don't i, I think we we don't have affordability i, I think we don't I we think only think right have right now we have some sort of form of universality we don't have full universality but we effectively have universality and I think we have quality but it's incredibly expensive but we kind of have the worst of both worlds and that it's an extremely regulated system and we need to uh, pick a side instead of trying to straddle two different roads. So I disagree with a lot of what you're saying because you say that we have universality, but you also say that we don't have the resources to cover everyone. The fact of the matter is, just like I said, if all 300 million Americans had had government-provided access to healthcare, it is true that they'd use a lot more medical resources. And it is also true that that might be uh, heavy weight on our medical resources. But I don't know how I feel about using uh, prohib- prohibitively high uh, cost as a way of discriminating when I think we have a limited number of resources, how are we going to allocate them? I don't think that, you know, rich first is a good way to go. I think that how much a person needs it is a good way to go. I think, I think, you know, general societally benefit is a good way is, is not a, is a better way to go. I think if we have a limited number of resources and someone is going to be getting the short end of the stick, I think, I think yeah, that right. the poor is not the best way for it to go. And I also think, you know, You say anyone can get healthcare if they need it, but the fact of the matter is the punitive way that healthcare is priced prevents the poor from getting preventative care, prevents them from getting, you know, the, you know, you say we have quality, but I think that's true for people who can afford to go all the time. But if you can't afford to go to preventative care, if you're only going to get an emergency when you have no other option, that's not quality. And your overall results are going to be considerably worse than if you were able to go in, you know, semi-regularly. And I also think that the kind of low-priority preventative care appointments that we could have a lot much a lot more of that would be a larger percentage of our overall medical visits would also be because they're not emergency we could space them and schedule them a little bit more and it'd be a little bit easier for us to process them and maybe increase capacity with a little bit more planning yeah so so the reason i say we have universality to uh some extent is, is because we do i mean oh both medicare and medicaid are My there God. to provide yeah are there to provide uh health care for the or health insurance for those who cannot afford it um it's it's not great, because a lot of doctors don't want to accept Medicaid because it puts price controls, and those who do a lot of the times will force uh other patients to subsidize the uh the the uh the the, the failure of Medicaid insurance and in that it's it's not paying the full price of the good, and so the the other people with better insurance need to pay for that and as far as i mean we are talking about a good, we are talking about a product um this is a service provided by someone, and so yeah, you can say well. Uh, we need to ration it this way, but if you it, but I, in my opinion, I believe the market should decide the price because if it doesn't, then we're going and we have the government doing it how does it reduces competition because how does how does the government decide uh how to pay individual doctors well and how does the and and if we start to pay if we have the government regulating the prices of doctors, what we're going to do is de-incentivize uh, people into becoming doctors. And currently we don't have enough doctors. That's why, uh, that's one of the reasons that healthcare is so expensive. And why would you want to be a doctor when you have to go to school for 20 years or whatever, um, and, and, and then deal with the super uh, hyper-regulated industry? Well, on the other hand, the idea of people to negotiate for a fair price in the free market presupposes that they have the leverage to, Hold out for a point that is a reasonable balance between the level of supply and the level of demand. But if someone is at a place where their life is at stake, or where you know they need to do something in order to take care of themselves, in order to take care of their family, they don't have the kind of leverage to negotiate. And as a, as a consequence, they can be taken advantage of. This is also why I think worker uh, protections are so important, because like we need you know, and this is why unionization is so important, is because people who do not have the leverage to to de- to seek a price point in a market that is reasonable um due to how extreme it is like you know and you could say well you know what should a life be worth on the market like i just i don't think that's how we should do no i don't think that's how we should uh, i mean Dude, i wouldn't say that's how yeah you, that's not how we should do yeah <laughs> okay well yeah we'll pretend that's a full sentence it's uh, a full sentence okay anyways um Yeah, I mean uh, that that presupposes that that there's only one doctor. There are multiple doctors Yeah, yeah, there there are multiple doctors that are going to compete for a lower price. You said there weren't enough doctors. But there's more than one. So, so, yes, so if there are not enough doctors, so we should try to uh, have a more market system to incentivize more doctors. Uh, when, there are, when there is a lack of supply, increasing the demand is not a good idea. See, I disagree. Uh, and and, and uh, also, there are still multiple doctors. So, so yes, they're, so going to a- they're going to compete for a, uh, for a lower price. And when, when we make it a more of a market system and there are more doctors, then they, the prices will lower because there'll be more competition. I disagree hard with the idea that the reason we don't have more doctors is because we aren't in a sufficiently um, free market-driven system. I have... I, I, I I think it is a lot more the lack of um, quality, early STEM education. I think that when I talk to people and ask them why they're going to doctors, they say, that's a lot of school, and I hate math, and science is hard. Like, that's what they say. They don't say, well, you know, because of the lack of free market, blah, 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 I feel like I'm not able to negotiate for a reasonable price for my labor. They don't say that. No one's ever said that. No doctor has ever said that. Because these are people who are already strapping in for like 20 years of grueling labor, trying to become doctor-worthy. Yeah, I completely agree. We we really need to deregulate um, because everything you just listed is, I mean, is a, is a government uh, imposition. You mean if we deregulated, that there would be widely available quality STEM education? No, if we deregulated, the, you said I mean, everything. What? What? Okay. I I I don't know what you're trying to communicate me oh, okay. right now. I'll but, let you go. Then. Um, but no, I mean, it, it, you have to go to uh, a million years of of. Uh, of school after college, yeah. I mean, yes, we should have a better education system. I think everyone should agree that uh, we should have much more STEM education, and this is something we've agreed about a thousand times. Yeah, I think times. we agreed about it a thousand times. But when it comes to uh, doctoring, so honest, and you know, I don't know. I suspect you to know. I I don't know how much of a doctor's education is like necessary for doctoring, but I do know. That I don't want someone with like, you know, a two-year community college degree performing brain surgery on me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I, I, if I walk in, I think, you know, here's one of the things that I think regulation gives us is the confidence to know that these these people are being held to a certain standard. Like if I walk in and this, this hospital isn't regulated, this doctor isn't regulated, there's no guarantee that he's had any training at all. You know, I don't even know he knows how to hold a scalpel. You know what I mean? I'm trusting him as a person. Guy I don't know. You know, but I don't necessarily trust my politicians, but they're accountable to me because I vote for them. Wait, were you both for uh, free public education? Uh, No, we are
0: both for increased uh, quality of STEM
1: education in
0: younger ages. Don't we have the best colleges in America versus the world? So don't we have like the best STEM education? We
1: meant a younger school. school. So I was a uh, tutor in college for three years to other college students. And I would meet all kinds of college students who say I'm not that good at math. And they were fine at math. You know, it took me two weeks. We went through, they were, they're fine. You know, the problem is they're super intimidated. They've never been taught it correctly. You know what I mean? And like our STEM education in this country sucks, you know? And I think everyone should have some kind of basic level of computer science understanding yeah. before in, they graduate high school. It, in the modern technical world, you should understand how machines work. You have to go. I mean, most, I feel like a it, lot of schools don't even offer computer science yeah. classes. And if you take it, it's, it's an elective. Yeah, and we both science. have degrees in computer science. Yeah. So just full disclosure, we're a little biased here. But, um, but I mean, but it's like, come come on. On. <laughs> like
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, I have another Medicare for all question before we move on.
1: Good. So, we about that. <laughs> What's your question?
0: One of the things I see we have like 28 million uninsured 44 underinsured. Yeah, but we have the best Medicare system or hospitals in the world right now. So you mentioned to limit the access of or limit the number of people going in to keep up the quality but how do we keep the innovation that we have on something like Medicare for all? Cause we have the best innovation for like new oh. drugs versus other countries.
1: Oh, that's you. Oh yeah. This was for me. Um, yeah, that's a great question. So the first thing I do want to say is that, um, I, it is not true. It is true that America has some of the best research developed, some of the best medical development and quality in the world. That is true. But it's also true that in some places like Canada, you have, some of the best medical programs in the world i just i think i think you can do both and you're asking how we can do both and that's something that i'm just kind of talking until i have a good answer to um <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can tell i know uh, <laughs> i appreciate the self-awareness yeah well i just do what i do you yeah know, I, I do what i do um so to answer that question i guess i just kind of feel like I guess I kind of feel like I've met a lot of these research and development people and a lot of them are just really passionate nerds who love what they do. You know what I mean? Like the research and development investment comes from these big wigs who are thinking about profit, but I think we just have a really great culture. I think we have a really great STEM culture that comes out of, you know, the exact same kind of STEM dominance that made us, you know, a global superpower. You know what I mean? And I, I, I disagree that, I think with better education that made people more excited about science, I just I I fundamentally disagree that those people would stop researching and stop testing and stop trying and stop trying to figure things out. I think Americans are a driven culture of people who want to they're ambitious and they want to discover and they want to learn more and they want to know more. And that's how we got where we are. You know, and I—I I don't think that would go away just because I, I just—I—I I don't think so. Yeah. So I think it would go away, and I don't oh. think that's how we got here because I mean we had a freer healthcare system uh, previously. Obviously, yeah. I mean how we got here was through a, a free healthcare system, and I mean we have a plurality of the uh, of the medical patents filed globally. One country has more things- than more than any uh, has. A plurality. That's, per, a, that's a lot. Per capita as <laughs> it's well it's like as something as like 40%. It's per, not close either. Per, so not just not just overall, but per capita. Was that also true before... I didn't say per capita, but... Uh, no, I'm asking. Oh, I, I don't know per capita. Well, I'm just I saying... Would, say would you probably. say that was also true before Europe, any of it went to universal healthcare? Was it true before Europe? I mean, I have no idea. I would say that it almost certainly was. 40% didn't happen in 10, 10 15 years, however long it's been. Uh, it's so what been I'm saying is... About 80. <laughs> 80. For... You can stop. Okay. okay. It's been about 80 for the United Kingdom. Uh, well, I don't know Europe. about all of Europe, but I am saying, you know, I, I, I'm going to have to Google this because we're in the middle of a podcast and apparently I'm not allowed to Google during a podcast. Yes, because but, that's um, a weird thing. To Whatever, Charlie. But, um, but what I'm saying is the United States had a lot of this dominance over people who did not have, who had free markets before. And I disagree that that's the only reason we are the way that we are. Um, yeah. Uh, and I also think a lot of research and development is not like, yeah, uh, I don't think I mean, yeah, I, I think it's a little difficult to pinpoint it because America didn't necessarily become an economic superpower to the extent we are today until uh, post World War One. And at that point, that was when Europe and uh, the the previous superpowers were starting to adopt uh, policies that uh, that I believe would hinder their economic growth. Well, but that was also I mean, well, just for the record, the thing that hindered their economic growth after World War One was World War One. Okay, they were the richest countries in the world, and they went deep, deep into debt buying stuff from the United States. And so, like, if that was the turning point, that's another major... No, continent. I know. I, I said spent it's, the entire time turning their entire continent into, like, yeah, you okay. know, a pile of rubble. Hard to pinpoint. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard yeah, to pinpoint. Yeah, so, anyways... That was my point. Yeah, I guess what we're saying is it's hard to pinpoint the root cause of American STEM dominance, and it's specifically American medical dominance. Um, but... um I I disagree that it is just because of the private market. And in fact, to kind of tidy this up in a little bow, some of the most impressive and interesting achievements have come from the public sector, including the internet, uh, including GPS. Like a lot of that stuff was developed by the government, you know, and stuff that private corporations now fundamentally rely upon in order to even basic function, you know. And so that research and development didn't require a uh, free market, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. I I disagree. I mean, the government developed those things for... In competition with other... uh, No, they they didn't do it for the people. They did it for the government. But they They, did do it. They did do it, sure. That's what I was saying. If we're talking about technological advancement, the government... Publicly. Funded. Yes, the government has invented things. I agree with that. that not the just that, has but the foundation things. of the modern world is on government research and development that yeah. was not in the free market competition that was funded by taxpayers. The Internet, us talking right now is due to the government funding the Internet with taxpayer dollars and then giving it to corporations that don't think they owe the public anything for <laughs> developing this technology for them. I think the expansion of the internet and the entire—I mean, the entire technological uh, revolution of the 1990s was done entirely in the private sector. Well, the government inventing something in the 70s, so the the government inventing something in the 70s, uh, and then uh, and then companies taking advantage of it 20 years later does not mean that the government uh, is the reason these things exist. No. Well, I don't know. We don't know what would have happened. There's a lot of factors. But I will say that when I look at my iPhone and I think of all the things that went into it, so the internet was funded by taxpayers, right? Okay. So the GPS piece was funded by taxpayers. I'm sure there's other portions. I'll also say this was manufactured largely out of pieces that were made somewhere else and in places elsewhere. And those trade routes and the ability to get things in here were established and protected by the government, by tax dollars. And I think this idea that the public sector and the private sector are like, they are like deeply intertwined and they always have been, really. And like almost every major economic advancement has been on the back of the government doing something, like the government deciding to, you know, turn our entire manufacturing towards supplying weapons and, and supplies to Europe. Except for World that one. didn't that actually... Was a, that was a political... Except that didn't actually help us economically. We went into a recession... That huge money infusion. Yeah, so that... Oh, well, <clears throat> in the 20s bubble. So... Uh, so that didn 't actually help us economically in that uh, immediately after the World War II, we had a recession and uh, yes when the as we just discussed, when the entire continent of 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 the economic powerhouses is destroyed and all of their production facilities are destroyed, uh then yeah i mean well, yes, we're going to succeed, but I mean that's also why uh later in the 1970s and um, late sixties uh, that 's part of the reason the stagflation happened along with horrible government policies, but well, in that the manufacturing moved overseas to countries that were doing it better than well, the recession was due largely to the fact that our massive portion of demand in Europe suddenly dropped at the end of World War I, and for some reason, our supply wasn't enough to stimulate the economy. Our However, supply of what? We weapons? were indisputably indisputably better off as a consequence of World War One than we were before because all of that wealth moved from Europe to the United States. That's a big deal. We were better off as a consequence. Sure, did we hit a recession yeah. as we retooled? Absolutely. And then immediately afterwards, we had one of the most booming economies ever, and then Not we had a the Great Depression, point. and then we had – you know, it, it was a topsy turvy couple of years. But then World War II came along, what? and that I was—I ta- thought we were talking about. We
0: were talking about World War One. We what were you talking about? World War Two. Well, we had we we had the recession. How did we get out of that? Which one? What policies did they put in? Uh, the one after World War One. I I
1: kind of think. That one's a complicated one. There were too many factors. So that's what I thought we were talking about. I thought we were talking about earlier. How we got out of it was uh, was when all of the production facilities overseas were destroyed. And then uh, as far as, I mean, the Great Depression, that's actually a great example of the failure of demand-side economics, uh, which, I mean, multiple uh, economic a- analyses, that's a plurality, right? Uh, um, is that- so yeah, I think that's a I think it is. Um, it said that it, it extended the, the Great Depression by 10 years. Um, we had, I mean, essentially within the great depression, we had two different depressions. We were starting to recover when FDR decided to, uh, implement more policies. Well, there were a lot of factors at play during the entire, uh, economic situation between world War one and two. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you, you know, what's what, uh, but I will say anytime an, economic, an economist tells you what would have happened in an alternate universe that was 10 years separated from the one that we live in, you can just throw that away. Okay, that's a guess, and that's that's coming from in a, a what? <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. And speaking of war, or bringing up that topic, today we have a military budget next than greater than the next yeah. ten countries. And at least five of those are our allies, so why do we have such a high military budget? How can we fix it, or do you support the budget Well, I mean, as Max
1: said uh, not too long ago, part of, I mean a lo- part
0: of our budget goes to
1: uh, protecting the oceans and trade routes. yeah, um, however, another part goes to to NATO and, and many of the countries there. we We fund a lot of other countries' militaries, but a lot of it also, I mean, we kind of during the Cold War ended up making a lot of enemies. like I'm going'm going to use the Middle East as an example. Like, so I obviously, I think we should, I think we should dramatically reduce our military spending. I think we should pull it up everywhere we don't need to be. I think we should focus exclusively on defending American trade vessels. And I think we should be militarily isolationist and economically friends with everybody. But I think there is a lot of fear specifically about the Middle East, because I think we made a lot of enemies over there, Mm -hmm. um, especially kind of during the Cold War, you know? And I think if we left right now, I personally think what would happen is... In 50 years, there would be a new Persian Empire headed by Iran, and I don't think that would be so bad. But I think it would be—I mean, eventually, I don't think it would be so bad. Empires are extremely stabilizing throughout history. All right, the Ottoman Empire wasn't—you know—so bad to have in the world. You know, like like it wasn't so bad. But I guess I guess the eventual end goal. Okay. No, but what I'm saying is the problem is on the way. You know, some of these people could have nukes, and a lot of them have a very good reason to hate us you know like Iran specifically who again I do think would rule you know the entire area eventually I mean we the CIA assassinated the democratically elected leader and you know worked with you know extreme Islamic clerics to try and you know it, it was bad it was a bad thing that we did and now they hate us and if they end up in control it's going to be a little while before the next generation comes along forgets all that and is, is cool with us And you know that's a lot of power so I think it's just scary. I think there is a lot of people who feel scared of the repercussions of baby boomer, uh, baby boomer foreign policies coming
0: back to bite us as soon as we let go. Uh, so we need a big military to protect us from I don't, I, these I don't these think enemies. that we do.
1: I'm explaining why I think some people think that we do. I think, I think we need <laughs> to do some really, really serious diplomacy to make friends out of these guys. Because they're not going anywhere and we can't keep the entire region unstable forever, you know, because we're just making more enemies and it's getting worse. And also these people are suffering like it sucks. No, we got to. Yeah, I think we should reduce our presence. I'm I was explaining why I think it is. We are still there, but I don't think we should be. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. there's a lot of stability that relies on the back of our presence there. I Um, and I think that there's most people agree. We should not have been in the Middle East in the first place. I disagree. When you say a lot of stability that depends on our, I I, I hard disagree. If we left, I, mean, I don't consider happen? what we have there stable. I think it would. I think co- it's more stable than it would. Be. I think it would collapse and then into something that would eventually be actual stability. I mean, with the rise people of people who are the rise of ISIS. The rise of ISIS <laughs> was uh, driven by our, our, by removing troops under <laughs> Obama. The rise of ISIS was largely driven by destroying one of the biggest military leaders in the, one of the big one of the biggest military powers in the area, Saddam Hussein, and then creating a massive power vacuum. The rise of ISIS didn't happen until ten years later, and also do largely fifteen years later. Yeah, I know. That's we we it, perfect example. We knocked it the, down, and then we held it. Yet, yeah. In place, yes, so stability. And then we pulled out, and then it—that's—that's that's exactly what it's I'm saying. Not real stability, though. We but, are but, holding it in this broken, shattered. That is literally place. exactly what I said. Every single thing, as a consequence of our actions, everything that has happened in the Middle East yeah, is because of us. The rise of Wahhabism well, is spreading it. all over the thing. Yeah. The you know the fall of all these uh, democratic republics. The I'm country. so glad you agree. with You me. know, like the rise of ISIS. It's because of things we did. And if we leave, it'll be bad for a little while, but then it'll be fine again. Well, we, we need. We need. We. You, we can't avoid these consequences forever. And the longer we stay there, the worse it's gonna be. And the more- Well, it's gotten better lately, but- uh, We can't remove every single piece of stable skeleton in the entire body of the Middle East, and then stay there, because eventually we have to leave. And when we do, it's gonna be bad as a factor of how long we have been there. Okay, except for it has gotten better, I mean, in recent years, it just objectively has, as ISIS has shrunk, as multiple peace deals have happened in the past two weeks, uh, for example. Yeah, it has gotten better. And yeah, I mean, literally what I said was, most people agree we shouldn't have gone there in the first place. We did go there. We did create a power vacuum that we're now filling, and that vacuum was filled by ISIS when we removed troops from certain areas, and will be filled further if we remove troops now. I I mean, but if, if we're going to remove troops, we need to find a way to... Uh, to not have a power vacuum. I don't know what that would be. Well, but- a lot of powers that we've set up to fill vacuums in the past have been overthrown within 10, 20 years after we left and replaced sure. with people even worse. Yeah, you know I, I'm mean? not saying I know what to do. I'm saying I know. I know what to not do right now. Well, we can't do this forever. And yeah, it's point we so. have to leave. And yeah. when we do, it's going to be bad well, by a that. factor of how long we've been there. I just well, and, and the again- longer we stay... The more technologically advanced these peoples are going to be, and the greater the chance that they will have nuclear weapons during their instability period. Well, I would say that uh, that (laughs) that if we leave, that there's a greater likelihood that they will have nuclear weapons. But uh, then, if we leave in fifty years, you don't think those extra fifty years of I have no clue. I would say that we should uh, we would probably monitor them. I don't know what's going to happen in fifty years, but what I will say is, yeah, I mean, it it has just grown more stable. This is pretty undeniable. I mean, you can in the last five years or whatever, it's become. Significantly, permanently more stable. I don't know permanently, but I know it's become significantly more stable. How are you measuring stability? Uh, let's say people dying as a result of war. I I, I don't know. I mean, uh, there have been peace deals signed. Uh, they like, sign like, peace deals all the time. People sign peace deals. Yeah, sure. I mean, except for the, uh, I'll sign one with you right now. Well, great. And I, I and and if that's how you want to measure it, would I, I would say s- a more stable apartment, in your opinion. I would say it would guarantee we'll never go to war. Again together that's each we'll other i can't guarantee that it okay almost, so wow so okay uh, checkmate, really buddy. Uh, <laughs> oh gosh
0: <laughs> anyways uh anyways all right so what are your views on the it happened in 2008 and it happened during a few other presidencies but there were government bailouts for banks or other corporations so, yeah
1: I'm, I'm i'm also so here's the thing with bailouts is they're stupid and here's why they're stupid um yep. well it's complicated i get it it's one of those problems where it's like when we talk about paying ransoms you know what i mean like when you pay a ransom you are freeing the hostage right but you're also kind of making the other person depend upon ransom money. And you are increasing the market for ransoming. And the reason why I bring it up is because it's a complicated question. And when a when a, when a a bank or when a major corporation <laughs> knows that it can rely on a bailout in a bad time, it's going to stop preparing and stop planning for a bad time. And so what that means is every single time that we have a recession, it's going to get a little worse because these corporations are going to be a little bit less prepared. And we are disincentivizing people from stocking up for a rainy day, and um, and I'm not thrilled with that kind of bailout. Now, I'm extremely thrilled with the direct to human beings stimulus payments, because then they for are- For coronavirus? Yeah. And in fact, I think that's the form that almost well, all bailouts should take. Well, n- well, I think it makes sense if there's a bailout when the government is telling you you can't work. Yeah, I mean, it's the government, it's, it's the, I don't know. The government's saying you can't work uh, for whatever reason, then yeah, they should pay right. I feel like I feel like most people agree with the the coronavirus stimulus thing. Well, but but as far I- as the two thousand eight uh, bailouts go, yeah, they're done. Well, I am concerned about like, you know, I am concerned about the people who lost their jobs and the hit on the economy, and we don't want the economy to fall apart as a consequence. But I think if we're going to pay a stimulus payment, I think we should always do it to the people like we did for COVID. You know what I mean? Let them spend, keep the economy going a little bit, make sure they can still feed their family. And we will, you know, if we, if the plan is for the government to spend a lot to keep the, to keep um, everything stable and, and staying up, give it to the people. Let the companies fail, keep the people alive long enough for new companies to take their place. And they will, because all the people will be spending, and someone is going to want that money, and they're going to build what the people are demanding, yes. so for a little while, the food industry might swell because we'll be a little poor, you know and and the uh you know luxury car industry might shrink because again, people are going to be poor it's in the middle of a recession, they're living off of stimul payments, but like the people will be fine and you know, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think stimulus payments should or, ever happen. Cause first off they don't actually stimulate number one. Number two, um, I don't think, uh, I think that it, okay. Ever obviously a strong because I do agree with the coronavirus stimulus payments because the government mandated that you couldn't work. So yes. Uh, if the government's doing that, sure. Other than that, no, uh, maybe I could think of, maybe an exception could exist, but no, not really. And, um, I mean, as far as the uh, people will have money that they want to spend, so someone will create a company. The issue is that the person has to have the money to create the company in the first place. Mm. And uh, I mean, there's a reason that that it, when a recession happens, consumer consumer spending follows the path of GDP. Um, When GDP starts to decrease, consumer spending has a delay as to when it decreases. When GDP starts to increase, consumer spending has a delay into when it increases. So, I I mean, again, the the ability to demand follows supply. Um, The idea that that in order to, like have a functioning economy. People who are supplying need some kind of major cash stimulus. A, it creates an, an impossible chicken and the egg problem because how did we get an economy if no one had cash in the first place? But then also- like, can I ask you a question? Yeah. What do you think a dollar is? Uh, a dollar is representative of what you produce. The yeah. only reason, uh, I mean, the only reason it's worth anything is because you can trade it for another product. The only reason you get paid money is because of the value of what you produce. And I mean, it's the thing is, it's always based on production. A uh, GDP is production. You cannot consume unless something is produced. We have an economy because people produce things and other people wanted it, but- and they traded things, and they uh, people use dollars as a way to. Uh, as a way so can to, ask you to, to quantify the their value of production so can i ask you a question sure i know that america ships a lot of a massive deal of supply over to africa like and so why is it that it doesn't stimulate their economy in fact it hurts their economy yeah it hurts their economy because it uh undercuts these uh, the the businesses trying to grow what's them. the difference between local businesses and the, like what's the difference it's supply it's the same thing because it's not being sold I mean you can go, but so to be clear the so issue, if uh, they sh- were buying it and the money was coming sh- to America Do you want me to answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. Ahead. So uh to be clear the issue is that they cannot uh the issue is that the businesses themselves cannot grow while the the quality of life for the uh the african people if yeah. you are receiving these shipments is increasing so they actually are getting wealthier um the issue is that the economy there cannot grow because the companies are not incentivized to innovate because they don't have uh uh, they, they cannot they cannot compete with something being given away for free, but they don't have to innovate because we are innovating so much. we have that's, to- yes, and that's that's why their quality of life is increasing. We are we are cutting out their potential innovations from the world. Uh, so here's here's what I understand. is if the driving force is something being there, something being supplied, then my question is how is how the, does tri- the, the, driving, the driving force is the creation of new uh, of new goods and services so let's let's the, follow so, the creation of a newer supply yes let's okay. follow it actually. why Let, yeah let's follow the thing so if i start an eggplant manufacturing factory okay i don't know where okay. eggplants come from i can i don't think they're manufactured either but, chickens or the ground i assume based on okay. the name so <laughs> if i <laughs> Could be a reptile. If I start an (laughs) eggplant company, um, and you know, America stops shipping in eggplants, and I start providing it to the people, you know, I feel like the part that's different, the part that simulates the economy, is I get money, and then I start spending that money, generating local demand. Because if the money leaves, even the, if the, the, the people, if the people are paying the same amount to me as they are to America, and the money leaves, the to America, people that stimulates yeah, America's yeah. economy because it introduces no money there, and then that money is spent. So spending is the background. Yeah, yeah. So no, because the issue is that if the, if the America is giving it to them for free versus someone creating it there, then the well, then, they're, they're, then the people of of eggplant land, eggplant land, uh, become poorer. Because now they're having to spend money on this product. But let's say, let's say that America was selling eggplants for twenty-five cents a plant or an egg, whatever, a, whatever, um, versus a local factory that's spending at twenty-five cents an eggplant. And the people, you know, there's 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 two two towns, and one is buying locally, and the other one's buying from America. Which one helps the economy more, or is it equal? I, I, I don't really understand. Well, the second one is okay, let me okay employing locals, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's so it's which Yeah. So it feels like you're trying to question the necessity of demand. Yeah. Demand, I mean, needs to exist because otherwise why, why is something that you produce? Why does it make someone's better? My point is- Wealth is increased. I mean, if, if the uh, amount of eggplants you can have, uh, for, for a unit of work, um, is increased, but if the supply itself is increased, uh, if there are, if, if someone has a supply of 10 eggplants versus a supply of 100 eggplants and the, the, the demand for eggplants is stagnant, yeah. then the person with a hundred eggplants is, can sell it for, for less money, and then the people who want eggplants are wealthier. I'm yeah, but here's my, point. here's my point. is Demand is patient zero when it comes to an economy, because supply without demand is useless. It's just, it's going to rot in a truck. Except right? for the fact but that demand without supply, if, if every single rich person just died of COVID tomorrow, then... New enterprising people in their garages would slowly begin selling smaller amounts of things and we would eventually build back up to an economy. Yes, they would produce demand. Yes, yeah, yeah. Can create nope. new supply, but supply can't create demand. Actually, that's price. why so many companies spend so much money on market research. Yeah, yeah. So uh yes, they because, because you're assuming that 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 you can accurately and perfectly perceive demand. Um you can't. It's yes, they spend money on market research to try to more accurately perceive. If a product that they create will be uh, desirable yeah. to the people and um, a product they create, you can you can produce without consumption, but you can't consume without production. I mean, it's it's really as simple as that. And uh, again, the only way the only way people get wealthier is when they can have uh, when they can have. More for less, when they can have more of a product for less work, when, when there is a new product or service, uh, when, when, I mean, when we talk about the things that, were, uh, that, that changed the world, when we talk about giant uh, the Industrial Revolution was a creation of a bunch of, uh, of a bunch of new technologies that produced different products for less work. Yo, that's I, why people got wealthier. I, everyone, I, I just, everyone, everyone demand cotton, but the cotton gin mm-hmm. made the people wealthier because they could have cotton for less work.
0: I'd like to jump away from the supply okay. and demand topic that we're yeah. on right now. So I just want to bring it back supply and demand. Yep. But you mentioned the stimulus checks. Yeah. And one thing that people found odd was the stock market it had an initial drop off scare from the coronavirus, but it bounced back, it boomed as kind of where it was before. Some people say it's the stimulus check. Some people say it's the rich on a large part yeah. of the so, stock market and they're just not pulling the money out.
1: Um, but why? So the stock but, market is not really. Um, it's what it's what people think is It's going what to happen people the think. It's, um, a, it's exactly it's people, and think, it's what people the think other people think yes. is going to happen. When you market. see the stock market go up, what you are seeing is that people who buy stocks believe that the economy will recover. And when it goes down, it means that they think we're in for a little bit longer. So um, it's a little bit like when you go to predict it to decide, you know, what the chances are of the president winning, you know, you are seeing educated people who are putting their money on predicting what's going to happen. And that's what the stock market is. Um, And so what that means is that the policies, um, the policies that were deployed, um, either that or some other thing that correlated in time, uh, convinced people that. Things are going to be better. Although honestly, I've been trading in the stock market this entire time, and I feel like there is a lot of automation out there. Like it seems like when a when when a dip starts, suddenly there's a spike that kind of then recovers a little bit. I think there are people with automated triggers where if it gets this low, sell. You know?
0: Yeah, that's me. Once it reaches a limit, I just uh, put in my limit sell. And sadly, I didn't do that with the few uh, new residential investments hurt me bad, <laughs> but. Eh, you win some, yeah. you lose some. Tesla, they're insane. But, well, I mean, okay, so also before I move on to one, another topic, UBI, you sound like you'd be against it. And one of you seems like, would you be for um, it? So that's a really radical change to how the economy works.
1: I think that my answer is that I'd be open to it. I see there's a lot of countries who want to try it right now. And I would really like to see them take that risk see how it goes before we do anything because like i don't why would i want to be on the beta version of ubi when i could wait and see how it goes you know yeah well that's how i feel how i feel is I, i know i said earlier i was against uh you know all of the entitlement uh subsidies and such um and i am on principle but i think that uh i think that we're in a country right now that we're obviously that's never going to happen, and I think that what we should do is try to maximize people's ability to choose for themselves. And I think that uh, UBI will be a, in replacement of um, things like food stamps or or whatever. I, I think giving people actual money where they can decide how they want to spend their money is is better than uh, the government giving them you know, something that, and telling them how they need to, I'm giving them gift cards. You know, not you only, that's money. a great point, And actually what a swoop here and say, I bet we'd save a lot more money on the bureaucracy and be able to put more of that money in the actual pockets. Can well, we agree on news? this? I think we might accidentally agree on this. Real quick? Yeah, let's do it. Because like, you know, all the way our tax system, the way our welfare system, system are so complicated mean that we spend a lot of government dollars on sorting through it. You know what I mean? And also it allows us to kind of like, you know, conceal increases and decreases and make it really hard to say what actually happens in any given time. And I think, yeah, you know, that's a great point. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, and I, I, I could be for that. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, if you're, if it's the same amount of money, and it given gives to a lot more boy, dignity well. to the poor because we're not big brothering them about how they spend the money that we give yeah. them. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you should be able to do what you, yeah. I mean, once we give it to it's yours. Yeah.
0: All right. All right. Adding into money for people. Basically, I had an econ 1000 class. And one of the things my professor says is all economists agree that minimum wage is bad for the economy. However, it becomes a morality argument because you don't want, say, sweatshops or anything. That's kind of a different thing, but people getting taken advantage of. But the minimum wage hasn't raised since 2009. Do you both think it should raise? Um,
1: Inflation happens at about 3% every year. Which means that every year since 2009, the minimum wage has decreased by 3% in reality. So it has changed. And I think that, I do think we should have a minimum wage. I think we should decide what what it is. I think we should, you know, get all our scientists out, get all our data out, decide this is what a living wage looks like. You know, this is what the minimum wage ought to be. And then we should have it auto adjust to inflation every single year. Because otherwise, (laughs) yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's, It's insane that we would say that we would say this ought to be the minimum wage for everybody, and then allow it to decrease in value by three percent every year. That's crazy. Yeah. So how I this this might come as a surprise. Yeah. But I am against the minimum wage, Uh, (laughs) and uh, how I feel. And what? By the way, Max is completely right that if you're going to have a minimum wage, you need to tie it to inflation because I mean, for that exact reason, I I know. there are countries that have had hundreds of percent of inflation a day. you know like inflation is a thing. At, at, when you're just putting it at a specific number, uh, minimum wage can mean nothing very quickly. Yeah. but uh, my belief is that um, that a minimum I mean, essentially the, the, the actual minimum wage is zero dollars. What, what, minif- what putting a minimum wage lo- law into effect really does is it outlaws a worker's ability to, uh, to work I mean t- to, sell sell their labor uh for a certain price like if, if i want to work i mean for example in new york city uh the minimum wage is $15 an hour if i wanted to work at a job for 12 dollars an hour and you know this is a job i wanted to work at whatever the the, the employer, small business guy, he could only afford to hire me for $12 an hour. And I was was like, that's great. I would not be allowed to work there because the government would tell me no. And I understand that there's this idea that workers don't have the, uh, the, the negotiation authority to, to be able to negotiate with businesses. But if you look at, I mean, virtually any big city, I mean, big cities in Texas, for example, you will be it will be extremely difficult to find anyone actually paid the federal minimum wage. Uh you'll find it in rural cities because uh in, in bigger cities there's more localized inflation. Um mm-hmm. But for example, in in New York City, everything there's extremely uh, expensive mm. because uh, because their minimum wage is fifty dollars oh an hour. what happens is that is is that they set the minimum wage to uh, to a number let's let, let's, use let's this say it again. yeah um, and then then there's people will fire their employees um they'll reduce their hours so that way they can uh, <clears throat> they can afford to keep them and then um, and then over time. Uh, in, inflation happens in that area in order, to, in order to change the $15 an hour to actually be whatever the market value is uh, in terms of uh, dollars. And so, it's, and so all of the prices increase so people can afford to pay their thing. Uh, I mean, I know Chick-fil-A there, uh, a chicken sandwich was like $6. Here it's like three and a half. And it's so that way they can afford to pay their employees. And then it's like, what does your $15 actually mean? Are you actually having a better life when everything is more expensive? The answer is no. <laughs> yeah, well, I just want to kind of sneak in here real fast and 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 say that although America does have a minimum wage and has for a long time, uh a year ago unemployment was like five percent and it did not suddenly tank because we hiked the minimum wage. I mean, you know, it was the, the COVID yeah. and everything, but like there is not rampant rampant unemployment. Like unemployment is not a major problem in this country. So when we say, you know, there is a certain minimum wage at which um it will be hard on employment i think that's true but there is absolutely no evidence that we as a country federally have hit it um i will say that new york city is crazy expensive um and but I, still likable unlike los angeles and Sorry. it's it's what is i mean is there minimum wage does it doesn't actually and i also i also actually have the people i also i don't know new york city has been expensive for a long time. And I think that has they more to do with the fact but t- that they are like, I don't know. I'm sure it's complicated. It's a massive city, you know, well, people living in like, it's in part because I mean, the lowest you can pay your employees $50 an hour. I mean, if you have a full-time employee, that's $600 a week versus the, uh, that'd the, like 280. You would pay someone a oh, oh, oh. federal minimum wage. And also uh, I mean, yes, they did have a spike in unemployment among part-time workers uh, the the month that the, uh, that the minimum wage uh, law was enacted. But now, you know, I mean, I don't know what kind of spike happened a month after the law was enacted. During the month that it was enacted. But I will say, I will say that, like, unemployment is not a major uh, problem in this country, and it clearly seems to have worked out once that spike was done, and that's why it was a spike and not a raise to a plateau. After a ton of inflation. <laughs> if there is...
0: Ooh. So, yeah, some
1: inflation happened. Like, well, how long was the spike? What do you mean? I mean, it it correlated with inflation, right? I mean, as an it it caught co- the minimum wage caused more inflation or caused inflation. I feel like localized inflation, and then as as the currency inflated, uh, there, um, I feel like you were able to hire. Uh, uh, so again. I'd be really interested in seeing your ma- and your math because I feel like I'm skeptical that you have done the work in mapping. 8% of inflation and how it correlates to 8% in, in unemployment. Uh, I wrote an about this. Did you? Oh, Charlie wrote an article about this, and everyone should check it, it hasn't, out. Well, it hasn't. Oh, he hasn't published it. Okay. So in like a year, set your alarms. <laughs> uh, it, it'll, be, it'll be up. It'll be out now. there someday. But yeah, yeah. So Don't worry. I have looked at the numbers. I'm um, just saying when, when people say, you know, we can't do we can't do this, we have to undo this because it's going to cause a problem. And I look around and I don't see that problem. I mean, okay, so maybe, maybe it is inflation, but there is a minimum wage still and we don't have an unemployment problem in this country except for COVID. I mean, you know, outside of but COVID, But you wanted to tie it to inflation. So therefore, whatever unemployment originally happened would then... But be what climate. if we tied it to inflation right now? Stop where we are right now. Stopped there's not inflation? An, there's not a, no, 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 no. What if the minimum wage level... Relative to inflation, the amount of value, if we stopped it right now, we don't have an unemployment problem right now, except for COVID. I'm talking about our extra COVID economy. Um, so clearly there is a minimum wage point at which it is not a burden on on, on, on unemployment. And, you know, that value is, you know, six months ago. Whatever the minimum wage was six months ago relative to inflation, we could say it was at at, at least that minimum wage is not a, a burden on employment. So so I don't know what the number is, but there is a number. It's a it's another mini laugher curve. And I think this idea that, you know, people should be able to work for, you know Three pennies an hour. They should be able to work for however much they are, want to work for. But at a certain point, here's the thing is, these desperate people don't have the leverage to negotiate. Except for, except for they do because there's, as I oh. just said, not an unemployment problem. In fact, I, I, I mean, as I said earlier, there, I mean, it's extremely difficult to find someone being paid uh, minimum, the federal minimum wage in large Texas cities. It's... So, so clearly, I mean, why would that happen if they didn't have the ability to negotiate? In these cities where there are extremely or were extremely low unemployment rates, but uh, pre-COVID, that's pre-COVID is what we are referring to. Cause the yeah, whenever last, we make any seven whatever yeah, months. Yeah, we're, we're been, not talking about, yeah, <laughs> too, 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 too much. Yeah, that's, <laughs> too much, that's a lot. Long. Long. That's a lot.
0: All right. So it's FM 91.7 WHUS at the top of the hour. And I want to move on to one of my final questions is views on the trump tax cuts that happened maybe a year ago yeah the tax foundation said it would add 448 billion uh a deficit over the next 10 years joint committee says a trillion yeah. but they also say it could boost the gdp that's the that, other side yeah. they What's
1: predicted that and then uh we had our largest uh tax revenues ever um so it, i mean it clearly didn't happen uh And then not only that, I mean, cut, cut the spending, you know, don't take more money because you're unable to balance the budget. Texas doesn't have an income tax. Uh, We have a balanced budget. Well, we have, we have a property. We, we, Texas, we have an extremely large property. Yeah. Um, however, um, here's kind of how I feel about it. Trump's tax cuts. Oh, Trump's tax cuts. Okay. So, um, here's how I feel about it. And in fact, starting tomorrow every single day I'm going to point, I'm going to post one graph proving this point on my Twitter at maxfmills so if you're curious listeners by the time you hear this there should be four or five graphs up almost every single metric of Trump's economic success post tax cuts is a direct continuation from the numbers trends uh, of, of, Obama. of Obama post-2010. We did have a slight slowdown in the election as a consequence of investors <clears throat> being unsure about which, you know, because there were two radically different paths ahead and you don't gamble with uncertainty. Uncertainty is the enemy of any market. Um, that's, just, that's just how it is. But if you, you know, account for that spike and you draw a line, it is almost a perfect slope every time. A few metrics Trump does a little worse, but he never does any better. So the best thing we can really say for Trump and his tax cuts is that the damage was minimal or non-existent. But was it worth the deficits that we're going to get? I mean, no, because like... You know, he didn't even really put that money in America's pocket. He just kicked it down to the road right. to when taxpayers pay off that debt someday. All right. Although they were. All right, world. So uh, let me go ahead and uh, tell you what, what actually happened. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Bring world to this conversation. Yeah. All, all right. right. Uh, so for the entirety of Obama's presidency, the, uh, the, the, the real wage rates did not raise at all. They didn't start again until uh, Trump was president. Um, not only that, 93% of the jobs that were added underneath Obama were part-time jobs. Uh, that has not been the case under Trump, and that is largely because of uh, because of things like um, Obamacare that uh, mandated that the that the company provide health care if if it had a full time employee. Um, so you really you need to break down what specific numbers you're talking about. If you're talking about real GDP growth, it has been higher underneath Trump. Uh, so you do need to adjust for inflation. Um, if you talk about wage rates, it has been growing for the first time since Bush under Trump um and also i mean again the bottom is growing the bottom 20 percent uh is growing way faster under trump than it ever grew under obama uh, as as far as their wages grow not in not in population uh and um yeah the unemployment is is shr- has shrunk a ton obviously until covid and has been people adding full-time jobs not part-time jobs not not only am i going to post one graph per day starting tomorrow for Obama and Trump's terms of different economic metrics. I'm going to let Charlie choose the graph order. So come on, and Max F. Mills, even if I'm wrong, I'll be honest. Charlie will choose the number. I will pull up a graph from the last 10 years, and I'll post it. I might, I might hand make a graph. <laughs> yeah. I'll just put a huge well, I don't know it. about that. So, you know, we can fact check this later, listeners. Come on over to Twitter.
0: All right. And for my final question, trickle-down economics. That's my question. Uh, trickle-down economics
1: is uh, it is a straw man term that uh, left people prefer, uh, placed upon supply-side economics. I prefer voodoo economics. Yeah. yeah, so the idea that... I don't even know. If it, the way trickle-down economics uh, is described is something that's ridiculous because it is a ridiculous idea. It doesn't make any sense. It's something like you give rich people money and then... It, poor four people have money. It doesn't make sense. Um if you originally we- it, it is not supply side economics at all. It's not a real economic theory. Oh, then what is what is the real economic theory? Supply side Supply side economics was straw manned by the idea of trickle down economics. No, I'm, I'm just I'm giving you an opportunity to say what you do believe instead of saying what you don't I feel believe. I like thought we've been talking about it the whole time. Oh
0: is Reaganomics something different? It's or is the same the thing. Charlie's saying that uh, trickle, trickle down,
1: down, down economics was a like a, a political attack on supply side. <laughs> it economics. is. It is. It is an epithet. It's yeah. like a yeah. It's. Yeah, it's the, the they thing. say it's uh, you know a for uh, to mm-hmm. let people keep more of their money. Well, <laughs> I mean, everyone takes from society every single thing that. So so Charlie's already kind of answered this question with the supply side economics answer at the very beginning of the podcast. So I'm going to let you guys go to that. So instead I'm going to talk about the moral argument here because Charlie said, you know, it's it's about letting people keep more of their money. But like, here's a fact. Every single person is taking from society. The fact that you were born into this society is because you are standing on the on the shoulders of thousands of generations who have worked tirelessly to get us where we are today. And you owe a you owe mankind, you owe future generations to carry the torch and pass it down. You do, you know? And when we talk about all of the infrastructure that is taxpayer-funded, when we say, does Apple owe the public for inventing the internet? Yeah, Apple did not build the internet. Amazon did not build the roads. They heavily used the post office. You know, they didn't build that either. You know what I mean? Like, if we talk about... What has been inherited from society? If we talk about the education that that every single one of those, you know, enterprising minds got from society, if we talk about, you know, travel infrastructure, if we talk about technology developed on taxpayer dollars, if we talk about the baseline research and development tasks that we pour billions, hundreds of billions of dollars of taxpayer dollars into every single year that is used in the free market. Well, it's not this idea that, oh, well, I made the money, so it's my money. No one... No one is an island. Humans are colony animals, and we build these things together. And I, I disagree that you are morally obligated to every single penny that is earned by, yeah. you know, whatever. I disagree. So, so what Max is referring to is not stuff that costs hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, we're talking about, you know, single-digit percentage of the budget. Uh, yeah, and that's I, what I said, I'm, hundreds of billions of dollars. The budget's like four trillion dollars okay sure. well uh and then also i mean we're also talking about things that are offered to everyone when we're talking about public services they're offered to everyone if if that's the case why didn't other people create these things well um, you know it's, so yes no they, they did earn these things and uh they did earn these things when other people did not and while being offered or while both having public education and 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 roads, yeah, Um, and I don't know, many people also go to private school, but yeah, that's there is not an equal distribution of these taxpayer funded things, and also I think you know I I there's not an equal distribution, there's not equal opportunity in this country, and and I think you know some people have inherited a lot better from this country than others. But I also think, you know, if you are using American taxpayer-funded infrastructure and American taxpayer-funded, you know, I think this idea that you pay back in, I think that's fine. I also think I, we I think, have I think what they, we have in part because the previous generations, they paid back in. Yeah. And we have to pay back in for the next generations to come up and have those same of opportunities. Of course, too. yes, of course. Because they haven't had this opportunity. Of yet. course. I think, I think that, uh, I think that uh, everyone. Yeah, everyone should should pay back in, and they should pay back in for for the uh, you know the single digit percentage of the budget that uh, that everyone was granted. So, do you think that everyone should pay back in, like in proportion to kind of the level of opportunities provided them by the government society? Well, I think that's extremely difficult to quantify. Yeah, um, I, I yeah, I I think it's extremely difficult to quantify. Um, so what I would say is, I mean, yeah, I mean, everyone should pay. Uh, let's say a flat tax rate. Everyone should pay, let's say, a ten percent income tax or something. Do you think so? So, I mean, kind of getting a little bit off topic, I mean, it's, it's a tangent, but uh, what, well, let's, let's I, talk about this. We've been so on topic. I mean, I'm, you, know, you know, you're right. That's disappointing. <laughs> Anyways, all I'm saying is there is not, I'm going off topic, but all I'm saying is there's not equal opportunity in this country. And I think this idea that every single person had equal opportunity and pulled from it is ridiculous. But I don't want to go into a social podcast because we want to talk economics. Yeah, we yeah. want to talk economics.
0: All right. Well, I think there's a good spot to wrap up the podcast. And um, basically, in the end, as a summary, what's the final message each of you wants to say? Maybe something you want to touch up on or something you want to address as the final ender?
1: Uh, I'm going to say um, no one has perfect access to information and no one knows everything. But the fact of the matter is, if something is true, it's going to withstand scrutiny. And I think conversations like the kind me and my brother have where we bring what we have and we admit when we when we don't know something and we are able to sit in a room and have a real conversation and consider the things the other person has said is i think something that america's missing i think it's something that if we had it we could have better ideas i think a lot of times things become so polarized that we aren't able to compromise to a middle ground i i i if you oh yeah go ahead okay thank god cuz i realized i was interrupting but anyways uh, if if you find out you're wrong about yeah. something that should be great because it, it should feel like the new opinion you now have, now have is a better opinion. Yeah, and uh, totally. And I also want to say, I mean, if Charlie and I were in Congress, we'd get a lot done that, you know, we could compromise. We can talk. We can give each other a little to, to lose a little. We could do that. Also, so uh, voters, we could no. I mean, but also what I'm saying is we could talk about the issues that everyone cares about. How about this? CPS is dramatically underfunded. In our state, Texas, a study recently found that the system is re-traumatizing children. In some cases, CPS caseworkers didn't have a placement for the kids and had to watch them in in eight-hour shifts in the CPS office, sleeping on the floor in groups. Like, <sighs> okay, Okay. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think, uh, so, oh, snap, Crackle pop. I think a lot of our, uh, a lot of our foundational, uh, uh, values and stuff are based around the ideas of consent and being able to uh, to agree on something and mutual decisions and with the idea that children are unable to consent and yeah. I think that it should be universally agreed upon that the yeah. government should really I mean it is it is the government's uh, I'm trying to think of feel uh, think more. It to is say society's this. responsibility to take care of our abused and neglected children. Yeah, it's, it's, because they can't take care of themselves. Yeah, at, it, the, at the yeah. end of the day, it's I mean the government should be the final line to make sure that the children are okay. And that uh, is not that is not that is not an economics conversation. It will cost us to do this. The, it which is, not. by the way, uh I'm more of a like libertarian person, but I also am I believe in public education because I don't believe if a child uh, a, a child does not have like if a parent does not allow their children child to uh to get educated because we only have uh, private schooling yeah um then i do believe that it's the government's job to to step in and make sure the child gets educated yeah we're on a tangent again but here's here's kind of my here's how we're gonna wrap up um (laughs) the reason why i volunteered to come on this podcast bill is because i love my brother with all my heart and i respect him deeply and he challenges me every single day And I truly believe that if people were able to talk the way that we were, the country would be in a better place. We would take care of the things that all of us agree on, and we'd be able to form compromises that everyone could be moderately happy with. And that's what we're missing. And yeah, I hope we're, you know, I hope we help bring
0: that about. Yeah, me too. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for coming out. Again, this is Max Mills and Charlie Mills. This is The Way Podcast. Just type in podcasttheway.com Bill. to find more. <laughs> Bill,
1: Bill, sorry. I forgot yeah. to say something. I was going to advertise
0: our podcast. Of course.
1: Um, we are B-Vice, B-V-I-C-E. Uh, we do comedy podcast, uh, comedy advice. We're just, it's dumb. That's it.
0: Sounds good. Again, this is podcasttheway.com. Thanks for coming out. Deuces.